Hi, everybody. This is Bob Gale, co-creator of Back to the Future, and you're listening to Brad Gilmore. Okay, relax, Doc. It's me. It's me. It's Martin. Oh, I can't be. Just sent you back to the future. Yeah. Oh, I know. You did send me back to the future, but I'm back. I'm back from the future. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? The way I see it, if you're going to build a time machine into a car, why not do it some style? Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Future, the podcast, the only podcast looking back in time at the greatest field trilogy of all time, Back to the Future. I'm your friend in time, Brad Gilmore. This is your first time listening. Welcome to the show. It's exciting to have you. Um, This is now my seventh year, believe it or not, of doing this podcast, and I don't plan on stopping anytime soon as we continue on with season 8B. Of the podcast, yes, this is a continuation of uh, the shows that we've been doing since October of 2021. Took a month off in February to start recording some new shows, planning new shows, and instead of waiting for a season nine, I said, let's just do season eight B. I remember Entourage did that. If any of y'all watched Entourage, it was season three A and then three B. That's where I got the idea. I am also the author of Back from the Future, a celebration of the greatest time travel story ever told, available wherever books are sold. And since the last time we spoke, guys, my book about James Bond has been released. That's called Bond, James Bond, exploring the shaken and stirred history of Ian Fleming's 007. That is available right now. And I'm proud to say, and some of you may have contributed to this, um, but I'm proud to say that it went to number one on the Amazon bestseller list for its category, which was film. So I'm going to give a little bit of thank you. I thank you. I thank you. I thank you very much. So those are some updates right now. But what are we going to do today on the show? Um, from time to time, people on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or wherever, they, they'll send me um, they'll send me a video or an article or something to do with Back to the Future, and they want my opinion on it. Uh, one of you pinheads out there sent me a video from a channel called The Why, and the title is Four Back to the Future Theories Too Good Not to Be True. And um, I started watching the video. I got about halfway through, about seven minutes in. It's a 12-minute video, so a little bit more than halfway through. And I said, you know what? Let's listen and react and talk about this on the podcast. So here are the Four Back to the Future theories, too good not to be true, from The Why on YouTube. Going to link to the video in the description of the podcast so we can give them their credit. Let's listen. Let's learn. Let's watch and discuss. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's Ryan here from The Why. And today we're going to be taking a look at Back to the Future. Man, there's so many good things you can say about... Okay, let me stop. Already. Um, I will intermittently stop this video and we'll talk about it, you know, as it comes up. So if I have a thought or opinion or something before he's done with a sentence or a theory, I will interrupt my man from the why. Um, if you want to watch this video in its entirety and then come back to the podcast, you can do that too. But let's uh, continue on. 
movies, but I think one of the most underappreciated elements is definitely the script. Planning out the- Wait, sorry. Did not expect to do this so quickly. Um, I understand that maybe we are in the bubble when it comes to Back to the Future and we think about it too much and we know everything there is to know about it or, or, or pretend to or think that we do. Um, but even by the layman or a movie enthusiast or a general movie enthusiast or movie fan or casual observers of Back to the Future, I don't think that anyone would say that the script is underappreciated, right? And I know I'm picking nits here, but the script is what makes the movie more than any individual performance. I mean, the movie is all in the script. It's not like a, um, you know, uh, a script where, like I was just listening to something with Martin Scorsese and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Jonah Hill. They were talking about Wolf of Wall Street and Martin Scorsese said, well, you know, the plot wasn't really important to me, right? He said the characters and the performances were important to me and the characters and performances are important in Back to the Future. But the script, the plot, is the most important thing about the film, in my opinion. So I don't think it's underappreciated. Story for a time travel movie is already a headache in itself. And to accomplish that in such a concise manner, while maintaining many of the subtleties that give a deeper meaning to the plot, is a huge feat. So let's get right into exploring some of these subtleties further. Here are four theories about Back to the Future, too good not to be true. All right, here we go. So the first theory is says when Doc changed his mind. Let's see what this At the says. end of Back to the Future, George knocks out Biff, defends Lorraine, and takes her to the dance, which causes the timeline to be saved. This fact is shown through Marty's picture of himself and his siblings beginning to reform. After the events of the dance, Marty hurries back to Doc in order to get sent back to 1985. Upon his arrival, Doc is understandably frantic, as this is their one and only chance to get him sent back to the future. Damn, damn. But before they get the plan rolling, Marty excitedly tells Doc how his dad finally stood up to Biff for the first time in his life. Doc's reaction to the picture and what Marty just told him is extremely important. I didn't know you had an enemy. He's never stood up to Biff in his life. Ever? No, why? What's the matter? This theory on Reddit by a man who drinks states that at the exact moment that Doc sees the restored photo of Marty and his siblings, he has a realization. Doc's realization was that it was actually possible to change the past and have a positive impact on the future without having disastrous unintended consequences. You have to remember Doc had only learned about time travel not even a week ago and his only theories on the matter were certainly negative up to this point. Just as I thought, this proves my theory. Look at your brother. Okay, we'll stop for a second. So, first off, I, I agree with the why about the fact that Doc changed his mind. I don't know, maybe not that exact moment when he said never, because he does look a little bit, I don't know, worried or bothered by the fact that uh, Crispin Glover's character, George McFly, never had stood up to Biff. And he was like, never? And I think in that moment, Doc was worried about what consequence it would have. I don't think that's the exact moment that he changed his mind because 1955 Doc wouldn't know what the ramifications of that are. 
Now, sure, you could say, well, he thought, what's the worst that could happen? Or he figured, what the hell? But I, I don't think it's in that exact moment. Excuse me. I think that he realized, um, okay, that didn't go according to plan. We've already kind of altered a lot of significant events in this family's history, going from where how Lorraine and, and, and George first met to um, even Marty's presence in the past, Biff crashing in the manure truck, all those things had changed. And Doc was like, never? Like, another thing that's changing? It wasn't until later on, uh, I think that Doc came to that realization somewhere between uh, 1955 here and of course the alternate not the alternate 1985 from Back to the Future 2 but the alternate version of the present day that we see at the end of this film Punch is only reinforced by Marty's siblings in the picture disappearing and this is undeniably the reason why Doc is so adamant about not messing with the space-time continuum we've already agreed that having information about the future could be extremely dangerous even if your intentions are good but after learning that because of Marty, his dad stood up to Biff for the first time in his life, effectively restoring the lives of his siblings, Doc realizes that his old theory may not be so bulletproof. And let's stop again here, because although Crispin Glover hitting Biff uh, ends up being a positive thing for George McFly and the McFly family, if you remember, Marty wasn't saved there. That was an, a moment that led to the moment. But it was them dancing on the floor that brought Marty back and all of his family back, right, in the picture. Change of heart the is the time. sole reason Doc eventually reads the letter from Marty, because he now believes that changing the past doesn't always have to have a negative impact on the future. Well, I figured, what the hell? Um... I mean, I agree, and and I just don't. I'm not. I don't even love the the case that he made for it, but I do agree that there were certain moments that Doc probably kept his eye on, and as he saw the development of of Crispin Glover's uh, George McFly and Lorraine, and saw how Biff was different in 1985, because we have to remember that this Doc in 1955 held onto that letter, understood that time travel was real knew that he invented the DeLorean, all those things. So when Marty goes back to 1985, that 1985 B doc knows Marty already and has perceivably met his family or at least kept tabs on the McFly family and saw nothing major came out of it other than Crispin Glover had extreme confidence and Biff was subservient to him, right? Um, so I don't think it was again in that particular moment, but sure, I, I, I see enough of what he's saying to be on board. Okay. Let's get to the next one. This next one says Lorraine's past trauma. My Buster's word admittedly gets a little dark with a theory that proposes the following. Biff sexually assaulting Lorraine at the enchantment under the sea dance was always part of the original timeline and Marty and George stopped it from happening. Obviously, in the original timeline, it was George, not Marty, who took Lorraine to the Enchantment Under the Sea dance. Okay. So she may have been going with a different guy, but one thing remained the same. Biff still had an obsession with her in both timelines. 
and I think it's safe to assume that he somehow found out that George was going to the dance with her, probably in a similar way as to this scene in Back to the Future 2. Somebody already asked me to the dance. Huh, that bug George McFly? I'm going with Calvin Klein, okay? After discovering that George of all people is taking his fantasy sweetheart to the dance, Biff heads there with the intent of finding George for stealing his girl, instead of finding Calvin Klein for wrecking his car like in the movie. Then, just like in the time- Wait, 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 wait. Let's rewind that. What did he say? Biff heads there with the intent of- I'm going with Calvin Klein, okay? After discovering that George of all people is taking his fantasy sweetheart to the dance, Biff heads there with the intent of finding George for stealing his girl, instead of finding Calvin Klein for wrecking his car like in the movie. Then, just like in the timeline with Marty, Biff confronts George and sexually assaults Lorraine. I'd like to point out that this event didn't necessarily have to happen exactly at the dance. It's just the most likely point for it to occur, and basically the only place we have to work off of. But what's- Okay, so everything he's saying, we don't know if that happened at all. It was never shown on, on, on screen. It wasn't in the movie. Um, I, I, I don't understand where he's getting that from. Unless this is a part of the overall theory. Let's keep listening. What's less refutable is that at some point in time, Lorraine was violated. It's really not that improbable if you look back at the countless times Biff crossed the line with what he said to Lorraine. Want it. You know you want it. You know you want me to give it to you. Such a filthy mouth. When are you going to get it through your thick skull, Lorraine? You're my girl. And you can't forget about the attitude he held towards George, who he treated with absolute contempt. I thought I told you never to come in here. Well, it's going to cost you. How much money you got on you? And in the original timeline, without Marty there to back him up and give him confidence, it's sad to say, but honestly, George wouldn't have stood up for Lorraine. Fast forward to the present day in 1985. Okay, there's a lot of assumptions being made in this theory. Um, we're assuming that Biff sexually harassed Lorraine at some point. Never discussed. I mean, sure, he was um, being, how do you say, inappropriate with her. And there might be some misconduct and, you know, he's, uh, unwanted advancements. Um, but, but to say there was anything more than that, than what we saw in the alternate a version of events in 1955 uh, where he was in the car with with Lorraine. Um, we don't know if that happened initially. Like, we don't know. So, I don't know. I, I think that what what uh, the Reddit theory person and what my man from the Y is trying to make the case of is he's trying to say, yeah, look, um, we had a uh, we had a uh, uh, issue or what have you with um with Biff and Lorraine that probably happened back in the day and that is why Lorraine is sad that's why Lorraine's upset that's why she doesn't want to uh be with or you know why she's regretting her life and we see her as she's an alcoholic when she gets older he's trying to tie I think all that the, the reasoning for all of that to some sort of trauma that she had in high school which which is a, a plausible theory but Really, there's not a lot of basis for it here. And Lorraine is a shell of her former self, using alcohol and cigarettes to cope with the past trauma that still haunts her and the depressing life she now leads with the man who couldn't protect her. 
But in a way, it makes sense that Lorraine ended up with George, especially after experiencing something so traumatic. Because George was the exact opposite of Biff, a feeble and weak man who could never hurt her the way she had already been hurt. This theory also gives a sick new meaning to the scene where Biff stops by the McFly home in the present day. Say hi to your mom for me. And the theory also explains why Lorraine says this at the dinner table. I don't like her, Marty. Any girl who calls up a boy is just asking for trouble. It's obvious that she doesn't like Marty's girlfriend because it reminds Lorraine of herself before the trauma occurred and brings up repressed memories and Okay. <laughs> I mean, am I saying what, what he's saying is completely wrong and there's no possibility of this happening? Uh, no, I'm not saying that. Am I saying this is a reach? Yeah. I'm saying this is a reach. I don't think that Lorraine said that about um, about uh, Jennifer because she was hiding some repressed feelings and Jennifer reminds her of of her in high school prior to the trauma or whatever. I don't I don't find that to be accurate. I think that she says the things about Jennifer because Jennifer um, or, or, or because it's a it's a commentary by the screenwriters Bob and Bob on how when you get older and you're a parent, you encourage the kids to not do the things that you did. You almost become, as a parent, a hypocrite <laughs> because you made all these mistakes when you were a kid and now you're telling your kid not to make them. Um, I think that's what that line was about. It wasn't about some repressed trauma f from Lorraine's high school days she can't deal with. Thus, by way of Marty traveling back in time and inadvertently meeting his parents, he does a lot more than just help his dad stand up to Biff. He effectively saves his mother from a traumatic encounter that drastically alters the course of her life. To find evidence of this, all you have to do is look at the present day Lorraine in the alternate timeline, as she is still by and large the same girl from high school. And when you contrast that with the Lorraine of the original timeline, it's easy to see just how bad that trauma would have derailed her life. Mm, I'm not into that one. This next one is the Sports Almanac is the name of his theory. Let's see what this As says. As we can see from the events of the first movie, pictures from the future change based on alterations to the present in order to accurately reflect the future. And if this holds true for pictures, this theory by Swiss Army Cheese says the same should be true for the Sports Almanac meaning that the almanac doesn't just predict the future, it also alters itself to reflect the future that's going to happen no matter what changes occur. So even if Marty were to go back in time to try and sabotage the horse races by incapacitating the supposed winners, this tactic wouldn't have worked. This is because of the fact that Biff would simply bet on the different horse that was now guaranteed to win. To put it another way, the almanac is an item from the future that contains facts about the past. So by its nature, it must constantly be updating its information to reconcile with any changes made by time travelers or any unforeseen butterfly effects. All of this amounts to the perfect situation for Biff. He basically has a surefire way of winning any sports bet, no matter what happens. The only conceivable way for Biff to lose a bet would have to be someone changing the outcome of the event after Biff had already placed his bet. 
So in this case, you wouldn't say the sports almanac was wrong. Rather, the future was changed after he had already placed his bet. So it'd be more a matter of timing. Don't you get it? You could make a fortune with this book. Let me show you. Okay, that one I'm all in on. I'm all in on that one. And, that, and the main reason is that's why they had to get the sports almanac away from Biff. That was always the goal. Get the book back. Therefore, he it's not going to have this butterfly effect. The newspapers aren't going to change. The uh, pictures aren't going to change You know, for the almanac. Um, because this guy's absolutely right. If Marty tries to do something to tamper with the event, he's going to tamper with the outcome of the event. Therefore, the sports almanac is going to change what happened at that event. It's a record of history. It's written after it's already occurred. Right? So I think that that's right. I, now, there might be somebody out there who's going to explain to me why that isn't correct, but his case is very strong in logic for that theory. The last one, not at all. And here's our last theory. This one is called Biff and Calvin Klein. One part of Back to the Future that never got fully explained is how Biff came to be a timid car detailer working for the people he used to bully. I think the agreed upon consensus is that after George finally stood up to him, Biff never recovered and became a loser that people now felt bad for. Only something about this doesn't really sit right. The Biff we knew was relentless and stubborn. So how could getting knocked out and humiliated once make him a total coward and subservient towards the people he once tormented? This theory by JRM2003 on Reddit claims this isn't the case and that instead, Biff discovered Marty was a time traveler and dedicated his life to solving the mystery. Of course, it's not like Biff learned this overnight, but there were definitely many clues that at first piqued his interest and then eventually led to his discovery. The first clue would have most certainly been the song that Marty played at the dance, Johnny Be Good and True. Biff wasn't there for the performance as he was unconscious. But after the fact, it's almost a guarantee he heard about the weird song Calvin Klein played that sounded nothing like any of the music out at that time. Then, a couple years later, the I'm, all, I'm already out on this theory, like 100% out on it, but we're going to continue to listen. Actual Johnny- Like, you're not going to remember what a song sounds like by the way that someone described it to you after hearing it once. Good gets released, which must have confused a lot of people at the dance who heard the song. And it's not out of the question that Biff heard about this too, adding to his suspicion. Also, you have to remember that Marty's name in 1955 was Calvin Klein, and he rode a skateboard before it was even invented. Two things Biff surely never forgot. So, as time progressed and these strange occurrences started to unfold into real-world events, Biff realized he was onto something totally bizarre. If all of this sounds totally unbelievable, you have to remember, Biff didn't have much going on for him in terms of life goals and opportunities past high school. And it's totally possible that Biff got obsessed with Marty after he arrived for a week, turned his life upside down, and vanished without a trace. So to him, unraveling the mystery of Calvin Klein was the job of a lifetime for someone who peaked in high school. Thus, Biff became a car detailer as a way to get closer to the McFly family, namely George and Lorraine, as they were the ones with the closest ties to Calvin. And lo and behold, their son Marty eventually grows up to look exactly like Calvin Klein. 
This could explain why Biff was so eager to talk to Marty and clean his car. He was probably trying to gain any information he could about what exactly was going on. Not long after, Biff witnesses Marty flying off in the DeLorean and disappearing right before his eyes. What the hell is going on here? And his reaction makes it obvious that he's in shock. Biff knew something out of the ordinary was taking place and might have even hypothesized it was time travel. But to see the DeLorean fly and vanish into thin air was all the evidence he needed to confirm that his suspicions were based in truth all along. Okay, Biff no, no, stop, stop, stop. Because we don't know that Biff sees the time, the, the DeLorean until 19, uh, until Back to the Future 2, right? Um, he has no reason other than some weird coincidences that, and he didn't even bring up the one that everyone brings up, how Marty McFly looks just like Calvin Klein. But the, the Johnny B. Good, the skateboarding, okay, those could be coincidences or maybe word traveled differently in the 1950s than it does in the 2020s. Perhaps Biff and Marty just, I mean, perhaps Biff was like, oh, yeah, I knew about skateboarding before it was even a thing. There was a guy back in high school who used to do it all the time, right? You hear stories like that. Um, same thing with the music. Oh, I heard that sound before. Like, there was a guy who did it a couple years before Chuck Berry did it. Yeah, he did it in my high school dance. Coincidences. At best, you could make that connection. Okay? And then you go to um, uh, him seeing the DeLorean vanish. Okay, weird. Obviously, really weird. He goes, what the hell is going on here? Right? But in 2015, old man Biff who is the descendant of this Biff, because we're in that timeline, the subservient Biff's timeline, he doesn't know about Doc and Marty's time machine yet. Because that's when he learns it by sitting in the alleyway. Oh, so Doc, Doc Brown invented a time machine, right? So I'm all out on this one. We'll hear the rest of it, though. As the next 30 years following Marty, trying to figure out his secrets, but to no avail, his overall failures are probably the reason why the next time we see him in 2015, his personality has warped back into the butthead Biff of 1955. This also explains why Biff is still talking about Marty and trashing him in 2015. You're Marty Jr. Must be rough being named after a complete butthead. Biff spent his entire life following Marty around, trying to get a hold of the DeLorean, but was still never able to see it again. Then, out of nowhere, the DeLorean unexpectedly appears right in front of him, and Biff almost can't believe what's happening after all this time. So, Biff then enacts his plan that he's been thinking about for so many damn years, and actually manages to pull it off. Hope you guys enjoyed the video. If you did, give me a like and don't forget to subscribe. Alright, till next time, have a great day. Okay, so... I will say that the wise video named for Back to the Future Theories Too Good Not to Be True, two of them I can, I'm on board with. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm on board with really one of them all the way, the Almanac one. The doc at the moment realizing that's the reason, I'm not really there, but I think that that was a, a moment that helped him build the case for retaping that letter, which by the way, if you look at the letter in the 50s that Marty's writing, and then you look at the letter that doc tapes up, Two completely different styles of handwriting, just for everyone to know out there. Always sticks out to me in the movie. The 
Lorraine trauma one, plausible, don't buy into it. The Biff and Calvin Klein theory, not even close to accurate. There's no way anyone can convince me of that one. But it was fun to watch. Thank you for sending this. If you ever see a video out there like this or an article or a theory, send it my way on Twitter, at Brad Gilmore. I'm on there all the time. I'd love to read it and break it down here on the broadcast. But you know what? That's all we have for you this week. That is all. We are done. Make sure you give us five stars on the rating. Go buy the book, Back from the Future, available on all uh, book retailer sites. Target, Walmart, Amazon, uh, IndieBound, Books a Million, wherever you buy your books, it's available there. And check out the Bond book if you're a Bond fan. Bond, James Bond, exploring the shaken start history of Ian Fleming's 007. Until next time, my name is Brad Gilmore. I'm your friend in time, and I will see you in the future.